Acts 26, and Paul's words to King Agrippa. Verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Well, dear friends, we're looking this morning at uh, this uh, wonderful account of the Apostle Paul and the wonderful opportunity he had to speak to this governor, uh, this king, uh, King Agrippa. Never one to miss an opportunity, Paul. Uh, he was called to defend himself. He was given the liberty to speak for himself, but he uses that opportunity to not only say something in his defense, but also and especially to bring forth the gospel to this king. He was not afraid. He prayed. No doubt a lot of prayer had gone up for him by the believers and boldness was given to him, even as we looked at uh, last week. Boldness uh, to speak clearly uh, to uh, this uh, king. And uh, Agrippa listened intently to what he had to say. And then after hearing him, he said to him there in verse 28, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You've almost convinced me to become a Christian. You've almost persuade, uh, uh, persuaded me, convinced me to change camp, as it were, to, be a, to uh, become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that that was what Paul was trying to get him to do. He knew that Paul's intent was to convert him and to bring him to Christ. And he has listened. And he gave him a year uh, uh, to let Paul uh, speak what he wanted to say. And he almost gave his life to, be, to the Lord. But Paul, yes, he wasn't... Uh, he, Paul made no bones about it, friends. This was his intention. This was his intention to make him a Christian. Verse 29, Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I want you to become a Christian. Yes, that was uh, without doubt uh, Paul's intention. He didn't hide it. He didn't beat about the bush when he said these things before the king. He spoke plainly. He spoke openly uh, to King Agrippa because he really wanted him to know, this is my desire for you, that you become a believer, that you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you despise all the things that the world can offer you and commit your life to Jesus Christ and live for Him. This is what I want uh, for you. He made uh, no bones about it. I want to see you repenting and trusting in Christ. Friends, today I can say to you, this is also our intention for you. If here, you are here this morning and you are an unbeliever and you haven't as yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, I can say to you as a preacher and as every other believer here would say to you, our wish, our desire, our intention for you is that you are become a Christian. 
you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, like as uh, we are. We're not going to hide it from you. We don't want to come, come at you in some indirect and uh, deceptive kind of way and trap you into becoming a Christian. Oh no, friends, our intention is plain and clear. This is what we want for you. That you come to repentance. That you come to see your sin. That you come to see that it is a great offense against a holy God and that you repent and trust in the Savior through whom you can obtain forgiveness and eternal life. This is what we want to see happening uh, to you, uh, to see that you are uh, converted and come uh, to know the Savior. We want you to come to church. We were glad to see you. We want you to come and hear the gospel. We want you to hear the message. But we want you to be converted. Our desire is that you will come to faith in Jesus Christ even as soon as you can. Give your heart, don't delay. We want you to come to know Him because of what we found in Him. And not because we want the numbers, not because we want you on the church membership or register, but because we, want you, we know that that's the best thing for you. We know that uh, to know the Lord, there's nothing better in life than to know Christ and his forgiveness. Nothing in the world compares to knowing Jesus Christ. And when you found him, what do you want others to know him? When you're converted and your eyes have been opened, what do you want other people to be converted and their eyes to be open also? And we'll do our level best to try and persuade you. Just like Paul was trying to persuade King Agrippa here with the help of God, so also we will do what we can to try and persuade you to come to, and to believe. Can I tell you a secret? A church secret? Well, if you are an unbeliever here, we pray for you. We're praying for you. Your name is mentioned in prayer often, not only at the prayer meeting, but the believers here are praying that you would every day in their homes. Your name may come up in their, often comes up in their prayer times. Lord, Convert that person, persuade them, help them to see the truth, help them to see that in their need of Thee, bring them to Thee as You have brought us. Our friends, people are praying for You to be converted. Well, this Paul was speaking to this king. Well, that was a, a, a title, that, a courtesy title that was actually given to him. He was a, a governor, this king Agrippa. He was a governor of the northern part of Palestine, and uh, here he comes to visit his fellow governor, the governor of Judea, uh, Festus. And uh, this man, Agrippa, he's somewhat interesting. Uh, he came from a very wicked family, actually, a Jew by descent, uh, and, uh, but he, his family was Herod I, and, and if you go back in, in his line, you see there was quite a, a, a horrible a family that he came from. But he himself was a little bit different. He himself was not as wicked, the best of the bunch, the worst, you could say, the best of the bunch uh, uh, he was. Uh, there was some good about him, and even you can see this in the fact that he knew uh, the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, his father had converted to be a proselyte for ulterior motives, but he himself, as a proselyte, began to study the Old Testament prophecies. It seems that the Old Testament prophecies is what intrigued him a lot and what he thought about a lot. 
Paul says this, I know, verse 27, I know that you believe the prophets. And so uh, it, it would have been a very interesting everything that Paul uh, was saying uh, to him. But this man, he wasn't entirely pure and clean and good because uh, along, uh, alongside him, when they came to uh, Caesarea, was his sister, his younger sister, Bernice. And he was having an incestuous relationship uh, with uh, his younger sister. So that was well known. So he wasn't as clean as it may appear. He was also uh, morally uh, impure and unclean. And he'd come, uh, he'd come uh, as, uh, as the king. He'd come to uh, welcome and, and, and cur- be in a courteous way uh, to greet uh, Festus. And Festus... Uh, told him about Paul. I have this prisoner with with me and uh, the Jews are saying all these things against him but when I've listened I can't find anything wrong with him and I can't find a charge. Paul has appealed to Caesar. I have to give a charge. What shall I charge him with? I've got nothing. And uh, when uh, Agrippa heard these things well he said let me hear him. I want to hear him. And that's the the background uh, of, uh, of, of this speech, this uh, witness that Paul gave uh, to Agrippa. Well, what can we say about it? Agrippa said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Well, friends, we really don't have the time to go through everything that Paul said, but let me just focus on uh, three things that Paul said, three arguments that Paul used as he tried to persuade Uh, King Agrippa and all those who are listening to him uh, to come to trust in Christ and to believe uh, in Christ. Arguments that he used which really are still good even for uh, today. Firstly, he said, the Christianity that he was preaching and the things he was teaching was not something new. It's not something that's just he's just thought about and come, come about. It's just come about in his own mind. Verse 6 tells us, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. And again in verse 22 and 23, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. I'm saying nothing new, Paul's saying. Everything that I'm saying has a foundation. Everything that I'm saying can be traced back to the Old Testament and especially the Old Testament promises and prophets that the Lord God promised even from the beginning of time. That's how old this faith is. From the beginning of time, God promised when man fell into sin that he would send a Messiah. He would send a Redeemer, the promised Redeemer. And that is who they were looking for. And Paul says to Agrippa, what I'm saying to you is no new religion. It's no new ideology. It's no new faith that hasn't been heard of before. Christ, it was prophesied, those prophecies, if you look at it, he was familiar with these things. Well, they told about this Messiah that was to come. Who is this person? Paul said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. 
It's Jesus of Nazareth. Those Old Testament prophecies said that that Messiah, when he comes, was going to uh, make a payment for sin. He was going to bear the burden of sin. He was going to be a suffering servant. The Jews thought he would be a political uh, Messiah, one who would rescue them from the Romans, one who had political power and earthly might to deliver them and make Israel a great nation again. No, says Paul. That's not the explanation. The Old Testament prophecies all point, Isaiah 53 and onwards, all, all point to him being a suffering person, one who would take the punishment of people's sins, the sins of all who would believe in him. That's what Christ did when he died on the cross. This is the Old Testament prophecy hundreds of years ago. And this, look at Christ's life. He suffered. He was rejected by men. He became a, 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 a sin offering for us on that cross. That's what he is saying. And that all these things he could go back to. The resurrection also is prophesied. The ascension of Christ to heaven is prophesied. And you trace it back again uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would be, it was prophesied that uh, Christ would be a saviour not only of the Jewish people, but also of the Gentiles, of every non-Jewish person. And again, Paul uh, brings this out uh, even in uh, his preaching uh, here, a, a, a saviour for all people. He said, this, this which is happening, or rather this which Christ has done, is that which was prophesied a long, long time ago. He fulfilled everything. And friends, I say these things because the, the message that we preach to you is not something new. It's not something that we've just come up with uh, in our own minds or that somebody has sat down with. You know, sometimes people, they, they look at the world and they say, the world's not working. And they sit down and they, and they come up, uh, they try and use... Uh, uh, their vivid imagination and they come up with a, a, a theory and they come up with an idea and they call it by different names, maybe Marxism or some other thing and they say this is the way to fix the problem. It's, a, it's a something that's new, that's uh, originated uh, in their minds, a new line of thought. The Bible's not like that. The Bible's grounded in historical facts and truth. And then you can think as well, well look, well, look at the Mormons. Do you know what the Mormons say? They be, what, about their book, it just fell from the sky. And it was suddenly discovered. And it's come from outer space. Well, the Bible's not, not like that. The Bible's grounded in places, historical facts, very verifiable facts, names of people, places, cities, events, which can all be traced back in history. Nobody denies that there was a man called Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and that he was sentenced to die on the cross. These are historical facts. Even these, the cynics, even those who are opposed to Christianity acknowledge that these things, that there was such a man and these things happened to him. We're living in the year 2022. 2023 is soon upon us. Why 2022? What's, what's the significance of 2022? Well, it points back to the birth of Jesus Christ. There's that historical event that it's, uh, it has in mind. And so the, the skeptic look, looks at 
Christ and what he has done and all the events that happened to him. And he says, well, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's just something that happened to that particular. Yes, he may have been a good man. He may have been a good teacher. He had big following, but that's all. But the Christian looks at what Christ has done and sees in him the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies and see, he sees and he believes that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God who came into this world to save sinners, the promised way of salvation is through him he sees more in christ than just a a a man he sees him for what uh, he is and uh, that's that's the first thing that paul uh, tells uh, these these friends no friends you can the bible so much of what the bible is said can be verified you can go to the british museum and you can see many bible artifacts relating to times hundreds thousands of years ago and those things have been uh, found uh, in this, in the, uh, by archaeologists, and you can find them in the British Museum even uh, today. But let's move on. Secondly, in verse 8, he speaks about the resurrection. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? The Jews didn't like that he preached the resurrection, the Sadducees especially, and so he, Uh, Paul says, why should it be considered an incredible thing with you? God can do anything. People question the virgin birth. How can there be a virgin birth? But God can do anything, friends. The words that Paul, that the angel rather said uh, to uh, Mary, nothing with God is impossible. And the same here. There is, friends, a resurrection of the dead. And Paul, no doubt, expanded on this topic. Friends, death is not the end. Death is not the end of us. Don't believe what the evolutionists say, that death is the end. At the end of time, just as surely as Christ was raised from the dead, so at the end of time, each one who has died will also be raised from the dead and will be given bodies that can never die and then will be ushered to judgment to stand before God. And if we have received Christ, And if in this life we have trusted in Him, oh, we'll hear those sweet words. We'll hear those blessed words. Come, come ye blessed of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into those things that have been prepared for you. Into eternal bliss and happiness. But if we've rejected Christ, if we've said, I was almost persuaded to be a Christian, but I turned away, I didn't commit myself wholeheartedly to him. Oh, friends, we will have to hear those dreadful words from Christ's own lips. Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me into hell, into everlasting punishment. That's what will happen. We are, our lives, friends, are not just temporary. There will be a resurrection of the dead. But then thirdly, uh, he mentions... Uh, his own uh, testimony, how Paul himself came to faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. Sorry, Jesus of uh, Nazareth. And he goes on to uh, expand and to delineate the the kind of things that he did before he came to the Saviour He was warring against Christ. And he was warring against believers. 
He was mad against believers. He tells us in, he was, he was paranoid against them. He hated believers and he did everything in his power to not only arrest them, but to hurt them and to harm them. He despised uh, uh, Christians because he thought they were going away from the faith, uh, the true faith, the, uh, the Jewish faith, and leading others uh, 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 along the same path. But he was, so he was fighting against, uh, against the Lord. But he was also fighting, we see here, against his own conscience. In verse 14, when the Lord appeared to him on that road to Damascus, the Lord said to him in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And that, that last phrase, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, it ref it's referring to the ox goats. When a farmer was plowing his land and the, the ox was being used uh, to furrow the ground, well, if that ox uh, decided to move in a different direction, or if the ox refused to move at all, well, the, uh, the, the farmer, he had a, a, a goad, a long stick with a pointed end, and he could just prick the leg or the back, uh, the leg of, of, of the ox. And uh, if the ox responded, it would just carry on moving, but if it didn't like it, it would kick back against it. And in doing so, it hurt itself. And that's what's referred to here. Paul was kicking back. The Lord was pricking his conscience. The Lord was pricking his mind, showing him what he is doing is wrong, and he shouldn't be fighting against, against Christ. And he was, but he wasn't responding to the pricks in his conscience. He was fighting back against it. Oh, friends, are we fighting back against the, the Lord pricking our conscience? The Lord and again and again pricking our conscience? That's not right. You need to get right with me. You need to respond to the gospel. You need to put things right between me and yourself. You need to give your life to, to Christ. Do I respond to that? Or do I kick back against it again and again? Well, friends, that's the Lord's kind way of dealing with us when He pricks our conscience. Well, the Lord, uh, Paul, rather Paul went on to, to talk about, and we don't have time to go into it, but he went on to talk about this uh, visitation uh, from the Lord, how it brought him to his knees, and it transformed his life and made him a completely different person. He repented and trusted in Christ, and his whole life changed for the better. He who once became a persecutor of believers now became a planter of churches, an encourager, a preacher of the gospel which he once tried to destroy. Oh, what a wonderful change. And friends, the lesson here for us is that also every conversion, every testimony, every Christian is a testimony to, uh, to the unbeliever that this is what God has done. And this is what God can do for you as well if you turn uh, to Him. The same thing that uh, has been done to that, that brother, that sister who, is, uh, who is, has faith in Christ is what He can do for you. All these are living experiences, living testimonies to communicate to you, to speak to you, to say to you, you too must turn. You too must be fully persuaded like they are. And as God has blessed them and changed their life for the better and transformed their lives upside down, so too God can do uh, for you. Friends, this is con conversion. Every uh, 
a believer is a testimony to us that this is our need. Our need is conversion. Conversion, friends, is not just a nice to have. It's not just an additional extra to our life to make our lives better. It's a necessity. Because the Lord said, without conversion, no man can enter the kingdom of God. Heaven is barred uh, from us. Well, what, what, did, what happened? What was uh, Agrippa's response? We know what Festus thought. Festus, the other governor, thought he was mad. You were spending too much time in your books, Paul. You're mad. You're crazy. The world thinks we are. But Paul said, no, no. These things are just words of truth and reasonable. They're reasonable words. Look, I've showed you that they're grounded in, in facts, he's saying. But uh, what about uh, Agrippa? Well, Agrippa, I can see him there sitting attentively, listening to all that Paul had said, listening perhaps on the edge of his seat, leaning forward. The Spirit of God was striving with him at that particular time, striving with him for a response. The words that Paul has spoken, well, they made sense to him. They're revolving there in his mind. He's deep uh, in thought. And for a brief moment, he's lost sight of the fact that he is surrounded by splendor and by regality and by all the, 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 the high-flying soldiers of the time. And he's thinking only about these things. The pomp and the pageantry is out of his mind. What will he say? What will Agrippa say to these things that Paul has said to him? Will he yield? Will this king bow to the, the king of kings? And acknowledge him? Alas, no, friends. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was almost convinced by what Paul said. And Paul's reply, his heart must have sank as ours do when, when people reject the gospel and say no to Christ. His heart must have sank when he said these words, I would to God that not only thou but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I wish you were f not only almost, but all altogether fully persuaded in your mind and come to Christ. This is what he wanted for all who are listening to him. And he says those words. Did you catch it? Did you catch it, friends? I wish you were like me. I wish you were like me in every way except for these chains. That's what he said to the king. King Agrippa, I wish you were like me. No, Paul, you've got something wrong here. It should be the other way around, Paul. You should be saying, oh, I wish I was like the king. I wish I was like him. I wish I had what he had, power, authority, freedom to do whatever he liked. Oh, people opened the door for him. People laid on a great feast for him. Every day he could fare sumptuously. Oh, Paul, you've got it all wrong. I want to be like the king, you should have said. No, 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 no. I haven't got it wrong, he says. I haven't got it wrong. I wish the king were like me. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean? I have something better than the king has. I have something more wonderful than the king has. Yes, I have these chains. Yes, I don't have a lot of money. Yes, I'm under house arrest. But I have something better than he has. 
I have conversion. I have that full persuasion from God that I, Jesus Christ is who He is, and I believe in Him and I trust in Him. I have forgiveness of sins. King Agrippa doesn't have it, but I have it. I have a new heart, a new mind, a new life, and I want Him to have it, but He doesn't have it. I have all these things. I have a place secure in heaven. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. But he doesn't know it. He doesn't have that security. He's lost. And I, I have something to give to him in this gospel. I wish you were like me. Oh, friends, every believer will say to you, if, you're, if you don't know the Lord, I wish you were like me. Not in our temporal things, but in the spiritual possessions that we have. And come, come and join us, we would say, as we walk uh, uh, towards he heaven. Well, what did, uh, verse 30, what did Agrippa uh, do? He ended up, when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with him, and they just rise up and walk away, the three of them. It's just a polite rejection of the gospel. That's it. He didn't get all huffed up and puffed up at what Paul said. He was very polite, very courteous in his response. But it was a rejection. It was a polite rejection. It was a polite, no thank you, I'm fine, I'm okay. That we often hear, oh friends, he doesn't get angry, he doesn't get mad with Paul. He doesn't walk out all huffed and puffed. He just calmly walks away from it all. No. Not for me. Oh, friends, is that me? Is that me? I can come to church, I can sit and listen uh, to the gospel. I'm happy to come, I'm happy to listen. I hear the invitation, come to Christ, believe in Him. You won't be condemned if you believe and trust in the Savior. He will stand for you, He will change you, He will give you a new start in life. He will give you unfettered access to Him. You'll be able to pray and tell Him everything. You'll be able to cast all your anxieties upon Him. Your place in heaven will be fixed and sure, certain. And I calmly, politely, courteously leave the church, turn my back on it, and say no. Not, not in words, but in action. Say no. Oh, friends. Come to the Lord, come to the Savior. What kept Agrippa from, from, from being fully persuaded? Well, I think the answer is here in the text. Bernice, Bernice kept him. His sister in, with whom he was having an incestuous, incestuous relationship. And he couldn't give it up. He couldn't give up that sin. And that was in the back of his mind, surely, when he re refused uh, to come uh, to the Lord. We must give up sin, friends. If we would have Christ, we must give up our darling sins, any particular sins. We must give them up. We must repent of them and trust only in the Savior. Oh, that the Lord today, by His Spirit, may fully persuade you. I can't do it. But may the Spirit of God persuade you to come to Jesus Christ, to trust in Him, and to be altogether a Christian, a true a believer. Let's close uh, this morning by singing our final hymn, number 415, Thou Great Mysterious God Unknown, 415.
and 15.